You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Oftentimes we'll treat people here on a Sunday morning very differently than we'll treat people out in the public square Monday through Saturday. And again, it's just very, very convicting in that I think God calls us to just be consistent, you know, not lukewarm, either be hot or cold, but not lukewarm. And that's what a lot of times man-made religiosity is. It's really just a culmination of a lot of lukewarmness. We're going to conclude our series we began at the very beginning of the year uh, called Wisdom for Life. And the premise that we really kind of have been focusing on throughout this whole series are, are that Basically, decisions um, we make from God's perspective are these, either wise decisions or they're foolish decisions. And every one of us in this room, we have through our own personal experience, we've reaped the benefits of those wise, godly decisions we've made. And we have also paid the consequences of the foolish decisions that we have made and the penalties that that come with those. And when it comes to the vast majority of decisions that you and I make in life, they really kind of tend to land in four major areas. And we've been talking about those major areas over the last month. They tend to you know, kind of focus on how we allocate our time, how we spend our money, how we treat our physical body. And the one we're going to talk about uh, today as we conclude this is how we handle temptation. The struggle for many of us is the ability to make wise decisions and to really forego or to avoid the foolish ones. And when it comes to the area of temptation, there are two points that are so important to understand. The first point you must understand when it comes to temptation is there is always, and on your outline, I want you to circle that word always. It's not sometimes. It's not occasionally. It is always. When it comes to temptation, there is always, always, always more at stake than what most of us think or realize. The second point we need to understand when it comes to the area of temptation, and this is going to be a little more difficult to grasp, but we're going to get into this this morning, is your ability to withstand and overcome temptation, it has a whole lot more to do with your confidence in God. Now, maybe you've never kind of thought of it in that way, but there's a lot of truth to that. And when these two points are are the two things that really kind of easily slide off the radar screen when we are in the midst or we're in the battle of dealing with temptation. If we can simply learn to pause, to take a time out, if we would just kind of just stop in the moment, in the midst of the temptation, and just allow these two points back to front and center, And realize when we face temptation, there is always more at stake than any of us think or realize. And that this this temptation, it's not just a test of your self-control, but it really is an issue first and foremost about your confidence in God. 
Now, now some of you may be sitting here and you're hearing me say this and you're thinking about areas of temptation in your life and maybe it involves food, maybe it involves the internet, maybe it involves another person or finances or it's sexual or it's just one of those reoccurring temptations and maybe you're thinking, okay, I don't know that I really buy into this. I really don't see a connection uh, between my temptation and my lack of confidence in God. And when we fail to factor these two points into dealing with temptation, it may be why many of us are not able to break free of certain addictions and those reoccurring temptations. With every temptation, there is always, always, always more at stake than any of us think or realize, and there is a very strong link between that temptation and our confidence in God. So for the backdrop of today's message, we're going to use the story of Jesus overcoming temptation by the uh, devil there in the wilderness as recorded in Matthew's gospel. I want to start at the very, very end of chapter 3, the very last verse there in, in chapter 3, verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my Son, whom I love. With him, I am very well pleased. Then Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 begins, then Jesus was led into the Spirit, or by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple and again said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus replied to him, saying, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor, or some translations say, and their glory. All of this I will give you. He said, if you will bow down and worship me, and Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. Now, this is an amazing story on so many different levels. On one level, it really challenges a lot of our views concerning God, his love for us, and his plan for our lives. And again, I started there at the very, very end of Chapter 3 there in Matthew, because that event precedes Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, and that is his baptism in the River Jordan by John the Baptist. As a matter of fact, John chapter 3 ends with the baptism of Jesus, and then chapter 4 opens with the temptation. So it's kind of one event follows on the heels of another. And so as soon as Jesus is baptized, he comes up out of the water, the heavens open up, and God makes this declaration over him and says, this is my son whom I love or whom I delight in. With him I am very well pleased. So God is looking down from heaven and he is honoring, he is uh, indicating how pleased he is with his son Jesus. And then Matthew 4, 1 continues by saying, then Jesus was led into the, uh, by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now just stop and think about that for a moment. 
God says, this is my son. I'm so proud of him. I'm delighted in him. I love him very much. I'm well pleased. Follow me, son. It's almost as if Jesus said, where are we going? The father says, to the desert. Jesus says, to the desert? What are we going to do there? The father says, you're going to be led there to be tempted by the devil. Jesus' response could have been, now, wait a minute, Father. Uh, You just said you loved me. I do. You just said you were well pleased with me. I am. I'm going to send you off by yourself for 40 days with no food and to be tempted by the devil. But I thought you loved me. I do. Did I do something wrong? No. I'm well pleased with you. Well, good. So what are we going to do? I'm sending you by yourself into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. See, to a lot of us, that just doesn't make sense. That's just weird. But you know something? God did the very same thing with Abraham. He did the same thing with Peter. He did the same thing with Moses. He did the same thing with all 12 of his disciples. And perhaps, maybe he'll do the same thing with you. See, for a lot of us, our experience with God does not fit into our homemade theology of God. This kind of an experience, this kind of a leading by the Holy Spirit, it just doesn't fit into our template of who God is. When life gets tough, when life gets challenging, when life takes unexpected turns, when God takes us into a wilderness experience, a lot of us just kind of freak out Because our God is only supposed to make our life rosy. Our God is only supposed to make sure we have what we need when we need it. That's our God. And the whole idea of Jesus being led into the wilderness to be tempted. He didn't wander into the wilderness by himself. The Bible clearly says the Holy Spirit led him, sent him alone into the desert for the primary purpose of being tempted. And for whatever reason, maybe only known to God, some of you may be led along similar paths. Paths that don't make much sense to us. Paths that may cause us to wonder and to question God's love for us. Paths that may cause us to question where is God in the midst of all of this. And we go through those tough challenges and times in life. And you know what? We come out on the other side much stronger and with a clearer sense of God's presence, purpose, and plans for our lives. So please do not make the mistake of seeing those wilderness experiences in your lives as God abandoning you. He may be the one leading you into it to bring you into a deeper and a stronger place in your relationship with him. Now here's the thing we got to get our minds around. And I want to just get back to this. With every temptation, there is always more at stake than we realize or think. Now, in the, in the midst of temptation, and all of us have been here. I mean, it, there's, we've all been tempted. I mean, we probably have all been tempted this morning already. And again, in the midst of temptation, here's the tendency. Our tendency is to kind of think the only thing that's at stake, the only thing that's really going on here is the only thing I can see right now before me. 
So should I eat this dessert or should I not eat this dessert? Sometimes we think that's all there is to it. Should I buy this car or should I not buy this car? That's the only issue involved. Should I tell him the whole truth? Should I not disclose this information? Should I leave this out? Should I do this? Again, in the moment of temptation, the issues seem to be the only thing that's right before me. That all that's at stake is really only what I can see in that moment. In the moment of temptation, the tendency is to always think. That what's at stake is only what I see before me. The, it, it, this is the only issue at hand. One of the things we've got to accept if we're ever going to make headway in any area of overcoming and withstanding temptation is to face the fact there's always more at stake than we think or realize. Now, it's not stated, but if you go back and read the whole story of the temptation of Jesus, you eventually realize up front there was a lot at stake more than maybe you've ever thought or realized in that story before. Do you know what was at stake with Jesus' temptation? You were at stake. I was at stake. Do you know what hung in the balance of Jesus' decisions to say no to the devil? You hung in the balance. I hung in the balance. There was so much more going on in that temptation than any of us ever thought or realized. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus made a choice regarding temptation, and that choice impacts you and I today. Because with every temptation, there is always more at stake, more at risk than you and I think or ever realize when you read the story there in Matthew, it becomes very, very clear that what was at stake was Jesus' opportunity to remain the sinless Son of God. Do you realize the only thing that gave Jesus the right at some point to die for your sins and for my sins was his ability to remain sinless? Because if Jesus had any of his own sin to pay for, he forfeited the opportunity to pay for your sins and to pay for mine. There's a lot at stake. And in the midst of temptation, the only issue to Jesus wasn't, will I turn this stone into bread? Man, it was so much bigger than that. There was more at stake. It wasn't simply, do I jump off the temple and show everybody that God will take care of me? There was so much more at stake. It wasn't simply a matter of bowing momentarily and worshiping the devil. There was so much more at stake than you and I ever realized or thought. Every time you and I are tempted, tempted, there is always so much more at stake. There is always so much more at risk than you realize or know or see. But what you see oftentimes, what we see oftentimes in the midst of temptation is just the tip of the iceberg. And again, there is a tendency on all of our parts in the midst of temptation to just say, no, it's just about now. It's just about me. It's just about here and now. Do you know what's at stake every time you're tempted? I'll tell you there's at least three things Always at stake every time you're tempted. Your future, somebody else's future, and your faith. 
Every time you're tempted, those three things are at risk. Those three things are at stake. Your faith, somebody else's faith, or future, your future, somebody else's future, and your faith are always at risk. This is something very easy, again, to see in other people, isn't it? And it's very, very difficult to see in our own lives, in our own situations, in our own temptations. You know what? That's why those of us who are parents, if you're a parent here, you'll relate to this this morning. We tend to overreact to some things our kids do or a poor choice they've made because we're thinking of their future. And we can overreact thinking this one unfortunate event. We know that it can have a domino effect. It can lead to A, B, and C. They'll end up in jail. They'll never graduate. They'll never get a job. We'll never have grandchildren. And we just come up with all of these scenarios. Because our tendency as parents is we see the ramifications of those choices. We see the ripple effect. The potential of the evil that can come from just one small deed, one seemingly harmless choice. And even as a parent or even as a friend, it is so easy to see how the future is at stake. Sometimes when people deal with temptation, it is, again, so easy to see in other people. And as parents, we just tend to overreact with some of the mistakes in our children's lives because we know, we understand there's a future at stake when our children are drinking alcohol, maybe experimenting with drugs, engaging in sex, again, their tendency is they just kind of see it only in the here and now. They only tend to see it in the moment. How is this going to impact my life at this minute? They tend not to see beyond the moment they're in. To parents, this isn't something simple little decision, this is an enormous decision that can have huge ramifications in their life, in their future. I can see that in your life as you deal with temptation. I mean, you can see that in my life as I wrestle with temptation. We can see it in other people, but for some reason in the midst of temptation, it is so difficult to see beyond the here and now and understand there is a great deal at stake. Your future to some degree is at stake every single time you're tempted. And not just yours, but the people you love. The people that do life around you are impacted as well. It's not just your future. Oftentimes, it impacts other people's futures as well. Everybody in your sphere of influence has the potential to suffer due to your inability to deal successfully and effectively, consistently with temptation. If you're a father, your kids can suffer. If you're a husband, your wife can suffer. If you're a mother, your kids can suffer. If you're an employer, your employees can suffer. We have seen many, many people lose entire pensions, jobs, because people who already had more than enough money that they could ever spend give in to the temptation to manipulate, to cheat, in their prophets to turn the other way to pretend they don't know or notice and hundreds and hundreds of people are negatively impacted because of the way one person chose to deal with temptation. When you face temptation, your future, the future of those close to you are at stake to varying degrees. 
Every time you face temptation, not only is your future and the future of those closest to you at stake, your faith is also at stake. Again, we don't realize every time you give in to temptation, every time you make a bad decision, your sin, the, the impact of that decision, it impacts your relationship with God. Every time you give in to temptation, every time you act on that temptation and sin, there comes kind of just this wedge that just begins to build and deepen in your walk and relationship with God. Every time we give in to temptation, every time we violate our conscience, every time we disobey God, it just puts a little more distance between us and God. And eventually, after a period of repeated, ongoing violations, there comes a time where we have behaved ourselves out of a walk and communion with God. And every one of us, we're all kind of just a series of failures and temptations away from coming to the point where we can just give up Walk away and just abandon our faith in God. Every one of us has the potential to yield to temptation enough times that there will just come a point to where we will say to ourselves, I've sinned so much, I am so far from God right now that I don't even think I believe in God anymore. I'm not even sure why I believed in the first place. And what happened is every time you gave in to temptation, you put your relationship with God, your faith, more and more at risk. You simply fell to temptation so many times, you got so disconnected and so far away that you just don't even sense God's presence anymore. And this is where the second part kicks in. When you are faced with temptation, there's always more at risk, more at stake than you think or realize, and your ability to withstand and overcome temptation, it has so much to do with your confidence in God. Here's what you'll discover as you look at those three temptations Jesus faced. At the heart of every temptation is the question, can God be trusted? That is at the heart of every temptation you face. Try that next time. In the midst of temptation, ask yourself that question, can God be trusted? You'll understand why that's an important question here in just a couple of moments. When we're tempted to embezzle money or to take something that does not belong to us, at the heart of that issue is the question, can God be trusted to meet my financial need? Do I have confidence in God and his ability as my provider that he will meet all of my needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus? Can God be trusted? When we're tempted to have an affair, at the heart of that temptation is the question, can God be trusted to meet my needs for intimacy in legitimate and God-honoring ways? Can God be trusted? When a Christian decides to date a non-Christian, at the heart of that temptation is the question, can God be trusted to bring the right person, a godly person, into my life? Every time you and I say yes to temptation, we're making the statement to God, no, God, you cannot be trusted in this situation. I have no confidence, God, that you will come through for me. I do not trust that you really care, love, and have my best interests at heart. Do you see why? 
Your ability to withstand and to overcome temptation has so much to do with your confidence in God. I mean, you lie about something, and I think we're probably all against lying. We teach our children not to lie. We'll teach our grandchildren not to lie. Or your parents taught us, our parents taught us not to lie. You don't want people to work for you that lie, and you don't want to work for somebody that lies, and yet, we all lie. Lie, what's that? So you just let the temptation steal something from you. A lie? Oh, it's just a white lie. It's just a little lie. It won't hurt anybody. See, you've allowed that temptation to take something from you. You don't believe in being unfaithful to your spouse. We're not for that. You wouldn't suggest that to a friend, or I hope you wouldn't. Your parents wouldn't want you doing that. And your parents wouldn't suggest you doing that. And as parents, we hope our kids are faithful to their spouses. I've always been against unfaithfulness. Where does that come from? It's real simple because somewhere along the line, we have forgotten what's really at stake. We've also forgotten that it really comes back to, can God be trusted? Can God give me the strength? Can God give me the wisdom? Can God give me the fortitude to withstand this temptation, to do the right thing, the wise thing that honors him and honors others? Let me just say this regarding temptation. The wrong thing is to focus on your behavior and just by will, you know, just that sheer willpower say, I'm not going to act this way. I'm not going to do that. You're really not getting at the root of the problem. You got to get behind the emotion back to the attention. What was I thinking when I started acting that way? Have I let these two statements kind of slide off the radar screen of what I'm dealing with here? The key is you you don't fight temptation, you flee it. I kind of hinted at this last week when we were looking at 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18 clearly states, run from sexual sin. Run as fast, as hard, as quickly as possible from sexual sin. It doesn't say resist it. Run. Flee. Get as far away as possible, as quick as possible. And again, the reason most people give into sexual sins is because they're trying to fight it, resist it, rather than flee, rather than run from it. Don't try to conquer sexual sins. Run from it. Put as much distance between it and you as possible. You say, doesn't the Bible say to resist temptation? It does not. The Bible says in James 4, resist the devil. Not temptation. Resist the tempter, not the temptation. Big difference. Run. Run from sexual sins. Flee from temptation. The Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 10.5, we capture every thought and we make it obey Christ. Your conscience, the Holy Spirit speaking to you in your conscience. 
Take those thoughts and just make them obedient. Capture them to the obedience of Christ. Again, that's not an easy thing to do, learning to capture your thoughts, learning to control your thought life, to manage your mind. It's something, again, we have to practice. Now, for some of you, maybe you've been kind of acting in a particular way for 20 or 30 or more years, and there's a pretty ingrained pattern, kind of an ingrained way that you think. And we realize, and again, it's, it's, it's going to take a major overhaul. It's going to take a major work of the Holy Spirit to teach you to begin to think the thoughts of Christ, to begin to take every thought and to make it captive to, uh, to, to obedience in Christ. It's not easy. But again, all things are possible with God, with Jesus Christ to reprogram your mind in more positive, beneficial, godly, edifying ways rather than the self-destructive ways. You cannot control all the circumstances in your life. In fact, you can't control most circumstances in your life. You can't even control how you feel oftentimes about those circumstances. Emotions are amazingly independent. People say, I feel that way, and many times we can't control the way we feel, but you can control how you think. That is a power that God has given you. You can control what you choose to think about. You can choose to control what you dwell on. And it's those thoughts many times that are driving or controlling the emotions. You don't say, I don't want to feel that way. I don't want to feel that way. Again, fighting a feeling oftentimes only reinforces the feeling. It's like hitting a nail deeper and deeper into the wood. I don't want to be like my mother was. Guess who you're focusing on. I'm not going to treat my children the way my dad did. Well, guess what you're focusing on. You're focusing on what you do not want to do rather than what God is calling you to do, what God's empowered you to do. We're focusing on the negative. God calls us to focus on him, his word. You control the way you think, and that will control the emotions. That will change the behavior. Again, don't resist it. When you fight a feeling, it just gets more and more embedded more deeply in your mind. Let me just close. One final thought. We're getting to the end of our time here this morning. Let me just give you one final thought regarding temptation and what we've been talking about here this morning. If you're here this morning and you're really young, and I'll let you kind of draw those lines, If you're here this morning and you're really young, you have a lot of future at stake. Especially if you're here this morning, college, high school, age students, you have a lot of future at stake. If you're here this morning and you're really old, I want you to understand, you have a lot of legacy at stake. And if you're somewhere in between, I just want you to understand when it comes to temptation, you have a lot of future, and you have a lot of legacy at stake. It is so important that we understand. It is so important that we do all that God has equipped, enabled, and empowered us to do to be able to fight temptation. And again, I just want you to understand those two main points. With every temptation, there's always, always, always more at stake than you think 
or realize. And with every temptation, at the heart of that issue is the question, can God be trusted in what I'm being tempted with? Amen? Let's stand this morning. Father, we just again thank you. We thank you again, Father, for again just the example that Jesus gives to us. Lord, there in that wilderness as he dealt with the tempter, and as Jesus seemed to understand there was so much more at stake in his decisions, in his choices, in his response to those three temptations. And Father, we thank you, Lord, that Jesus saw, he understood what was at stake and Father, we realize that in that, our salvation, our forgiveness, our healing, everything that Jesus comes to bring to us, to give to us, all of that was on the line there in the wilderness. And Father, we again thank you, Lord, that he chose to overcome, to resist Father, we also just ask, Father, that you would give us that same insight, that same understanding. That God, there's so many times in the midst of temptation, God, we again, we are so tunnel visioned. And God, we just think that all that's at stake is what's before us, what we see in that moment. God, would you just broaden our perspective, our understanding to understand, God, there is so much more at stake than we'll ever realize or think. And Father, again, as we stand in the midst of those temptations, again, God, I just pray, Lord, that that question would just come racing to our thoughts, to our hearts. Can I trust you in this situation, God? Whatever that temptation may be, God, teach me. Show me how to trust you how to lean on you, how to depend on you, how to surrender, how to just give myself fully to you in the midst of this, to be able to say, yes, God, I trust you with my whole heart, my whole being. It's difficult, it's tough, but yes, I trust you to be who you are. I trust you to do what your word says you're going to do. God, would that just be able to just permeate our hearts and our spirits every time we are confronted, every time we face temptation. And may our response be, yes, God, I trust you. So Lord, just strengthen that resolve in our hearts as we move forward. Again, we just thank you for the example of Jesus. We just pray, Father, that you would give us that same wisdom, that same resolve, that same strength, that same driving obedience to you. And Father, again, we just thank you as we pause just to think about your sacrifice upon the cross where your body was broken, your blood was shed. You did that for us. Your word says there's no greater demonstration of love than when a man lays down his life. And Father, we thank you that Jesus laid down his life that we might have salvation, that we might have forgiveness. And so Lord, as we think about 
the bread and the juice, which represents your body and your blood. Fathers, we just again examine our hearts and just come before you, Father. We pray, Lord, that you would again just point out any error, point out any ways of, of, of evil or wickedness in us, Father. That, Lord, we would repent, that we would turn, that we would flee from that. The Father, that we would be able to come and to partake of that bread and be able to partake of that juice with a clean heart, a clean conscience. Again, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you that you provided that reminder for us today. That you provided for us a reminder of your great love for us. So, Lord, as we take that bread and we dip it in that juice, God, may it be a reminder of how much you've given for us, how much you've sacrificed for us, how much you love us. And we just thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.